Greetings, honorable battle brother. Vulcan lives! Stomp, stomp. <laughs> Today is the day we discuss the 17th Legion? 18th. Uh, 18th Legion? Wait, was, uh, Yeah, Vulcan, Corvus, Alpharius. Yes. Yes. yes, the 18th Legion. Vulcan, the Primarch of the Salamanders. Yes. Today is a very special day, for I have read the book. He has been informed of the lore of a character. Emperor be praised. <laughs> In a first for our entire show, I know what we're talking about today. <laughs> yeah, he does. So you are going to lead our discussion today. Oh boy, am I. In a, in a change of pace. <clears throat> Let's get right into it. Vulcan, biggest and strongest of all of the Primarchs, was born, well, arrived on the planet of Nocturne during what is known as the Time of Trial. And uh, after crashing into some guy, the, the front yard of a blacksmith, uh, the blacksmith immediately was like, oh, cool, free kid, free labor, and then adopted him. And then um, the blacksmith was named Nibel, and he named Vulcan after the first king of the salamanders. Which is basically like if some little child falls and they, like, some child lands somewhere and they name him Godzilla. Yeah, pretty much. It's like, I will, you are a law, you are the biggest baby I've ever seen. I will name you after the biggest thing on our planet. Your name is now Tyrannosaurus Rex. Yeah. Yeah, that is pretty much. Because salamanders, we, to back up a little bit, salamanders aren't the space marines yet. Salamanders are giant um, lizard, lava lizards, essentially, oh, yes. from, like, D&D. Yes. Let us talk of Nocturne Magnin. for a minute. Nocturne is filled with volcanic dinosaurs. Yeah. There, there are no other... The entire ecosystem is volcanoes, dinosaurs that eat the minerals from the ground, dinosaurs that eat those dinosaurs, and somewhere in the middle, people. Also... Nocturne has a very high population of Dark Eldar. You're right. Well, technically... Technically, they live Nocturne in the Nocturne does you know, not you know I mean. have a population. Nocturne does, however, have experience... What was it? Yearly... No, monthly raids. Just about, yep. The book is not super clear about, like... But they the show people, up every yeah, so they often. They show up every so often to take slaves. And uh, for years, untold decades, centuries even, the people of Nocturne could not fight the Dark Eldar because the Eldar are bullshit. Yeah. Vulcan, who by this point was uh, 12 years old, was like, no, what was it? Four years old. Uh, eight feet tall, 500 pounds of raw blacksmithing power. Uh, found out, he experienced, like, the first time the Dark Eldar showed up, uh, his father was like, Quickly, hide! That, th hide! This, the, the raiders are coming! They're going to take you away to their horrible, their horrible place in space where you'll be tortured forever and you'll never see anyone again. Uh, Vulcan 
said, nah, grabbed his blacksmithing hammer, walked outside, and killed all of them. All of them. All yeah. the Dark Eldar. Because there aren't a lot of Dark Eldar. Nah, right. So they kind of just march in, like, their raiding party would march in, like, a wave. Vulcan stood in front of the wave and said, fuck you, you stop here. And then they did. Yeah. That incident was so relevant that, like, that was the first time ever that anyone on the planet had successfully beaten the Dark Eldar. And within months of that happening, the leaders of every other important city, well, town, it says in Lexicanum, um, went to Vulcan and rallied behind him. Right. Because everyone just, we have someone, because for the first time, they had someone who could stand between them and the Dark Eldar. A fun thing is that they're called Dusk Wraiths. The Dark Eldar are called Dusk Wraiths by the uh, citizens of Nocturne, which is just cool, in my yeah. opinion. Like, like, it's cool that, like, each culture, like, idealizes, like, these intruders in a different way. Yeah. And so you have, like, the, the different depictions between the different Eldari factions. Yeah. The Wraiths. That's what right. they, That's how they talk about in the book. The Wraiths yeah, yeah. are coming. You need to hide. And then Vulcan Which picks up his hammer fair. and just walks outside. <laughs> and then just beat bludgeons him to death. Yes. Dusk Wraith is a pretty pretty apt description when you think about it. Oh, yeah. El- Eldar are, like, fairy-like, very yes. fey. Thin, Fast, live, decked out in uh, black and dark colors. Yeah. So, right after this happens, um, it is such a big deal that the people of Nocturne decide to hold a festival to celebrate their new champion, um, Vulcan. And so, a mysterious stranger in a mysterious robe shows up. He is mysterious, not just because he's wearing a cloak, but also be- the the book describes him as being of pale complexion. He's the only white dude on Nocturne. He's the only white dude on the planet. Yeah. So, so Nocturne is really close to this. It's close to its sun. It's closer to its sun than, you know, Earth is. But still far enough to maintain human life, which is important. Only but barely. Only it's, it's barely. It's worth no- noting. Yeah. Only barely. It is at the minimum the minimum distance based the basic minimum distance needed for human life to be possible. Which is why people live there. But over time the people living there started getting darker in order to counteract the intense radiation from the sun and all of the lava and just the constant radiation that was all over the planet. So as a result of this, everyone from Nocturne has jet black skin. Not, we're not, like, not... Not, not like brown, not like not, brown, not even like Maasai dark. Right. Charcoal. Jet black, charcoal black. <laughs> yes. And, and piercing red eyes. Yes. Vulcan looks exactly like that. So if yep. you see pictures of Vulcan, sometimes it, sometimes it varies. Even on Lexicanum, there's what there's the one picture of him where he's standing with his space marines, holding his hammer. And he looks hammer. pretty light, yeah. Yeah, and then there's the picture of him that is currently my Discord background, where he looks like Michael Clark Duncan. And then there's the right. picture of him 
where he's forging where in like he's holding a sword in a I'm vat watching, of I'm lava yeah and he's pitch black he's jet black he is charcoal black wearing yeah. an outfit that does not make sense to no, blacksmith in not even a little bit my poor forearms are burning looking at this picture. <laughs> Just, ah, oh, yes, I am going to dump my arms in metal. You know what would be great for that? Wearing metal gauntlets. Yeah. <laughs> we both have, I should clarify, the two of us have experience with blacksmithing. <laughs> yeah. So, it's weird seeing him dip a sword into a vat of molten of slag. Lava. Yeah, that's He's like, ah, oh, yes, I am quenching the sword. <laughs> In lava. Where'd my sword go? <laughs> I'm, I'm rapidly cooling the metal with yes. extremely hot magma. So, <laughs> over the course... So back to the actual plot of Vulcan. Uh, the mysterious outlander um, appears at the festival and, the stra- and asks to compete in this competition. Vulcan also compete like Vulcan is uh, also competing because Vul- so it's a contest it's a co- it's ev- Vulcan is challenging everyone everyone is like oh my god Vulcan you're so cool and then this dude this mysterious pale mysterious pale dude walks up in a mysterious in a cloak looking needlessly mysterious almost and says I can beat you and then Vulcan laughs a hearty laugh and agrees to take him up on his challenge it's just like the competition between the Emperor and uh, Russ. Yes. This same similar, I challenge you to three challenges, and the winner will kneel to the other one. It's the yeah. same same vibe. Yep. Uh, there were such challenges as the anvil lift. <laughs> right. An eight-day-long affair <laughs> where they yeah. held two anvils <laughs> up above their heads. <laughs> For about, apparently, according to Lexicana, tw- a half day, so 12 hours. twelve A 12-hour 12 anvil hold. Amazing. <laughs> and after 12 hours, <laughs> they all, they were just like, nope, it's been 12 hours. We're calling this one a draw. We're doing something else. <laughs> I love this culture so much. <laughs> just like, we shall decide who is truly the best by who can hold an anvil above each other's heads the highest. Grab the big anvils. (laughs) It's also worth mentioning that the culture of Nocturne is um, based around what's called the Prometheum Cult. Oh, no, the Prometheum Cult is established by Vulcan later. Hmm. Okay. So, the Prometheum Cult is actually... um, We'll talk about that in detail in a minute, but basically the Prometheum Cult is like Vulcan's philosophical additions to the imperial ideology. Yeah. I get you. It's like how Jagatai Khan had his own philosophy that he implemented yeah. with the Legion. This is Vulcan has his own, which he picked up from the je- from uh, living no. on. Gotcha. Uh, gotcha. So eventually, after eight solid days of like contests, which I assume all had to do with either fire, metal, or lifting said metal objects. Um, there was a tie. And in the final event, both contestants were given 24 hours to construct a weapon and then kill the largest salamander they could find. Salamander, we mentioned salamanders are 
dragons. We're not exaggerating. This is just a dragon. Mm. It's just straight, like... They're just... Ha- their final challenge, just we give up, uh, forge a sword and slay a dragon. Whoever does it first wins. Whoever, yeah, whoever gets the, the biggest dragon <laughs> wins. Which is the most stupidly awesome... Imagine that. Imagine just... We have been competing for eight days. Everyone is bored. We need to think of something <laughs> new to have everyone do. Yep. Slay a dragon. And there are enough dragons on the planet where you could feasibly be like, yeah, yeah, slay a dragon. That's it. <laughs> so they both do it. And then, so, Vul- so they don't, so Vulcan makes, oh, forges a weapon. Uh, the mysterious stranger, who we don't know who it is, but it's totally the emperor. But it's not. It's not the emperor. It's a totally different guy. Uh, they both make weapons, climb a stupidly high mountain, and uh, Vulcan finds a giant fire drake, which is the biggest variety of salamander on of on the planet. So he finds, like, I'm trying to think of. Like an ancient dragon. D and D reference. Yeah, D and D reference. Or for those of you, smog. He finds smog. Fights smog. Kills smog. And then at that moment, the mountain erupts because it is a volcano. Because this is nocturne, and everything is a volcano. Also, real quick. <laughs> It's not even that he fought and killed Smog. He killed it with a... He knocked its head off with a single blow from the hammer he forged. Oh, yeah. I Continue. About that. Yeah, please, correct me. This is a very important... De- he beheads Smog with the fucking war hammer. With one shot yes. from a hammer, a blunt instrument. Yes. And then uh, the volcano erupts. And then Vulcan flies over a cliff. He falls off a cliff. And he hangs on to that cliff. He hangs on to the cliff. And also the tail of Smog, which he is holding off the edge. Because Vulcan needs to win. Because the people are expecting him to win. Right. Because he's Vulcan. He is the king of the planet now. So... He's hanging on so he, with one hand, is holding himself and Smog for hours. Until eventually, he, he's like, I have to, either I, like, he make, he realizes I have to let go of the dragon. I have to let this go. And I have to, I have to go, I, I need to live. He eventually realizes, yeah, it's the dragon or my life. And he chooses his life. Well, he's about to choose his life. And then he sees... There's mysterious stranger, who is also dragging his own dragon, which is bigger than Vulcan's. And uh, he sees that Vulcan is he like the stranger sees that Vulcan is in danger, and then uses his giant dragon as a bridge to cross a lava flow so he could save Vulcan. <laughs> And he pulls Vulcan and his dragon out of the thing. Vulcan, uh, 
is declared champion and but Vulcan instead of have instead of the stranger kneeling to Vulcan Vulcan kneels to the stranger and tells everyone that anyone who is willing to trade pride for someone else's life is worthy of Vulcan's service and at that moment the outlander casts off his illusionary disguise and reveals himself to be the holy emperor of humanity imagine that the emperor of mankind crazy who could have crazy so and then at that moment Vulcan is notified of his holy quest to join the emperor in shiny golden jihad against everything that is not human yep primarch of the 18th oh yeah and then we get back to the salamanders who prior to that point we're known as the Dragon Warriors. So badass. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's why I love the Salamanders, man. Everything they do is just ridiculous. Yeah. In the best way. They have a theme and they lean in so hard. So, basically, no one knows where the original Salamanders came from. Unless you read the Primark book, which I did. So the original salamanders are taken from what is effectively the remains of a great Pan-African empire. <laughs> Makes sense. Like, they like they bring, somehow, in several thousand, several millennia, they bring back the Bantu empire. Yeah. And then that's where the salamanders come from. Because one of the salamanders, because in Vulcan's Primark book, they're talking about how describing basically the salamanders meaning their primarch and in that book the salamanders the terran salam the dragon warriors at the time are currently fighting orcs right they're the entire legion is on this one planet where they're basically crew like the salaman the dragon warriors and the dragon warriors alone are coordinating an evacuation Get, they're trying to evacuate the people of this planet and save them from the orcs. And swaths of the dragon warriors give their lives for the, for the people on, of this planet. And as in, initially, some of the uh, salamanders are... Some of the salamanders in this fight are Terran. Some of them are from Nocturne. The Terran salamanders... And the, Noctur the Nocturnian Salamanders don't really get along like most legions had because, you know, I'm from, I'm from the planet. Uh, I know Vulcan. Vulcan's this, Vulcan is this big legendary figure, yada, yada, yada. And the Nocturnian Salamanders don't really know of Vulcan directly compared to, well, no, the Terran ones don't. They've only, relatively recently, they had met their Primarch and had been deployed. Prior to this, the Dragon Warriors, before they met Vulcan, the Dragon Warriors were very famous for suicide missions. Hmm. That was their thing. They fought to the death every single time to make sure that to minimize civilian casualties. The phrase acceptable collateral damage to them disgusted them 
they, there was no such thing as acceptable collateral damage. Space, the space marines would throw themselves into the way of orcs to save, like, individual people. Which is a deviation from every other space marine legion ever. Right. Because every other space, other space marines have an understanding of how much time and work it takes to make a space marine. Salamanders don't care. Salamand, and like, and this is a belief that will carry through that they, that's a, it's a, it is a belief they inherited from Vulcan, their gene father, and it is a belief that Vulcan instilled in them as well, that the Imperium is its people. And every person you save is a little more of that imperium is is the imperium safeguarded. So the first big conflict that the salamanders got into was known as the assault on the tempest galleries against some against something called the ethnarchy. Such a again cool name. <laughs> the ethnarchy during the unification wars. I looked it up. They maintain the ethnarchy was a powerful faction that existed on Terra during the end of the Unification Wars, ruled over by eugenicist oligarchs. Nice. They maintained a small empire over the Caucasus Mountains, which are protected by force field generators. They had these warriors called Urcasis, okay. and dangerous weapons for the Dark Age of Technology and psychers. The All first right. attempt by the Imperial it cost the lives of. The first attempt by Imperial forces to capture their strongholds cost 20,000 Astartes and a million Jesus other casualties. That's 20,000 Astartes? Ironically so, enough, the Caucasus Mountains aren't too far from where um, the Emperor was. Like, the Imperial Palace was in, is in, in and around Mount Everest. Yes. And the Caucasus region is, like, only a couple right hundred next door. miles. Yeah. <laughs> They bit no. It's not in and around Mount. They bulldozed yeah, right. Mount Everest. Yeah, you're right. And then hollowed it out so they could make the Imperial Palace. Right. <laughs> so that was the first big fight that the Salamanders partook in. Well, that, the Dragon Warriors the Dragon partook Warriors in. At that time, and right. then everything from there is they they did they were beat the fuck out of. Yeah. To a thousand like. That 20,000 casualties was Dragon Warriors. Yeah. They had 26,000 men. And then that the, comes to a head where the yeah. final conflict before Vulcan reunites with them... Vulcan, at this time, was just sort of tagging along with the Emperor. He kind of refused to rejoin his Legion um, until mm -hmm. he was, like... A, he was good enough at what he does to, like, mm -hmm. lead them. Um, mm -hmm. And the last engagement where the dragon warriors existed on their own before turning into the salamanders was this crazy orc fight like you were talking about before um this crazy orc standout where the entire legion was down to nineteen thousand men against well over a million and a half orcs and this yep. was like desperate defense to try to hold out for uh ev evacuations to continue Yep, <laughs> and that's that's where Vulcan stepped in with three thousand Nocturnian-born salamanders, or yep. initiates before the Legion was reunited. <laughs> in, congratulations, I have brought raw recruits. Exactly. 
<laughs> so that happened. And in that moment, other, like, other, what was it? Sanguinius met his men, and he, he met a bunch of vampire cannibals. Right. The Horus, Yeah. Horabo met his men, and he was disappointed with them. Right. Decimation. Vulcan met his men and was proud. Because what he saw was a group of people who, without meeting him, were perfect examples of what he wanted a legion under him to be. People who are willing to do whatever it takes to see those they care about live. And in that moment, Vulcan met his men, and they were christened the Salamanders. He kneeled before them. He kneeled before them. I forgot about that detail. Thank you for reminding me. Vulcan kneeled before his men and told them he was proud of them and that he was proud of what they were doing. The Lord at- Commander of the the, mm-hmm. the Dragon Warriors, Cassian Vaughn, was like mm-hmm. critically wounded and um, Vulcan took the power claw, the weapon of the orc war boss that like gutted Cassian and presented it to him as a gift when kneeling before him. Was he interred in the Dreadnought right at like after this? Yes. Or did this? Yeah. So fun fact about that. Um, so Cassian Vaughn was the Lord Commander. He was basically the Legion Master of the Dragon mm-hmm. Warriors before Vulcan came around. Um, Vulcan made a suit of Dreadnought armor by himself specifically for Cassian Vaughn. He, like, wrought it together, learned how to use the machinery, and built it completely from scratch for him, specifically. Yep. That armor is a sacred relic of the Salamanders to this day. Right. It's still around. It is the highest and most... the, the best dreadnought armor ever. Yeah, and he had to be interred... <laughs> Um, and he continued to serve as the... He called it the Iron Dragon. The, yep. The, the carapace. And um, made Cassian Vaughn uh, the castellan and protector of Prometheus, which would become the um, fortress monastery of the Salamanders. Yep. Right after Vulcan set them... Right after Vulcan appeared, he brought them recruits. He reorganized everything. Right before we get into the Horus Heresy, we will talk about, briefly, the conquest of 154. Okay, yeah. So, 154 was a planet full of people who worshipped a... worshipped a... I forget what they're called. A group of Eldar Exodites. Yeah. Uh, Vulcan fought them. He fought the fuck out of him. Oh, Ferris Manus, I forgot. Ferris Manus is also here. And Mortarian. Mortarian was also here, yes. This was actually talked about in TTS. In one of the episodes, um, the Emperor was talking about this with Rogel, I think. Right. So, after some time, it is found out that... So, Vulcan... Ferris, Manus, and Mortarian are fighting 
through the, fighting through these Eldar. Well, and then they come across people. And then the Vulcan comes comes to them and is like, I have freed you from the that I have freed you from the wraiths that have come to take this planet. Because he's he lived on Nocturne. Nocturne experienced raids every year. Every year, every month, whenever. I don't remember. It's it never says how frequent the raids were. The people fight for the Eldar. The people worship the Eldar. And because of that. Well, the people worship the Exodites because the Dark Eldar have been, would take people. Right. And, and they would run, and so in turn, they would run to the, the Exodites, who hated the Dark Eldar in principle. With a passion, yeah. Yes. So Vulcan, um, basically, to protect the wider Imperium, in his, according to him, killed all the people who lived on this planet. Yeah. And the Eldar. <laughs> right. There is a scene in this... I bring this up because there is a specific bit in this book where he kills an Eldar child. <laughs> brutally. Bru- he beats... Doesn't he beat it to death? Beat it to death with his hammer. He be- <laughs> so, yeah. Remember, it is the Grim Dark 40K, and if we start sounding like Vulcan is the only good guy, we're going to be wrong. Yeah. Because instead of... Uh figuring it out he was like nope they're working with the Eldar they have to die all of them and he doesn't just kill them he lights the planet on fire he does light he exterminates the planet he engulfs it in a um, in a cleansing flame so Uh, much so that all plant life and and all life on the planet was reduced to zero he renamed the world Caldera and then said, hey, man, now it's a cool planet for the Imperium to use. <laughs> yep. <laughs> what is so, like, ah, oh, Great Vulcan. Mighty Pride Mark, what is this planet called? Uh, this planet's called Ashes at the Bottom of a Barbecue Grill. Yeah. You can live here now. Ignore what, the smell. Wasn't it, like, wasn't it a, it was full of lush jungle before? No, it wasn't. Not anymore, baby. <laughs> this look like this is never mentioned again no. I just wanted to bring it up because I think it's funny it's funny. because me personally uh, I'm a very staunch uh, believer in fuck Eldar fuck elves we hate fuck elves em. here we hate elves every incarnation of them hate them yes <laughs> okay. we're gonna put that on a t-shirt one day yeah fuck elves <laughs> Drop site yep. massacre time. Yep. So, no one really knows what he was doing during the hair. Like he was doing stuff, he was engaging in battles and everything else. But the main thing that Vulcan does in the Horus Heresy is get blown up by a nuclear bomb. Get blown up by a nuclear bomb, which means we get to talk some more about Istvan. Istvan Five, baby. You want to do this one? Sure. Um, so as as we mentioned previously, the atrocity of Istvan Three occurs in which the Traitor Legions purge a third of their number. They then reconvene on Istvan Five for a desperate holdout, quote unquote, against the uh, justice of the Emperor. The Iron Hands, Salamanders, and Raven Guard deploy on Istvan Five to engage the Traitor forces uh, stationed there along with Horus. 
um, and they were pretty much baited into um, charging first, head down, um, because they were reassured that they would be supported by the Iron Warriors, Word Bearers, Alpha Legion, and Night Lords. Uh, so, Ferris Manus, Vulcan, and Corvus Corax lead their legions almost in their entireties against the, uh, the, the, uh, the traitor forces. So, the fight goes on. The Salamanders, leading the left flank, I believe, push deep into the traitor forces' uh, flank. Um, Vulcan himself leading the charge with his fire various units named after fire, fire dragons and such. Um, yes. The Pyre Guard, the Pyroclasts, and the Fire Drakes um, <laughs> were all around him as he was sort of being strung out into the traitor's forces by the brashness of their attack. Um, it was quite... They were being pressured into um, uh, overextending. Um, and then the reinforcements would arrive, a solitary flare would go up, and the massacre would begin. The, tra the traitors would fully reveal themselves, and the salamanders would get absolutely blasted. So much so that the Primarch of the salamanders would take a nuclear missile directly to the face, um, and get better. Leveling him into a crater, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the... Uh, massacre would continue, and his legion was essentially cut to ribbons. Um, I don't know how many salamanders escape Isfan 5, but it's, it's, they deployed with, um, a couple, I think it was like 25,000 men. Um, I think they pulled out with less than 2,000. Yep. 2,000, like, 2,000 exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it so, was a bitter, bitter betrayal, and Vulcan seemingly was dead. Yep. Which brings us all the way back to uh, the Night Lords episode when Vulcan yeah. wakes up in Conrad Kurz's special torture maze. Yep. And now we get to talk more about the special torture maze. Yes, it was designed specifically to torture Vulcan. Now you may be wondering, how do you torture a man who has spent his entire life forging metal on a radioactive desert planet full of volcanoes and dinosaurs. You do not you do not cause him physical pain. You instead damage his soul. Yeah. I want to see Warhammer does this great thing where it takes a completely ridiculous idea and it plays it straight, and sometimes, a lot of times, it works. So, Conrad's big plan was to basically set up a series of traps. Not for Vulcan, but for other people. Like, there's no other way I can really explain this. Picture this, you're Vulcan. You wake up in the middle of a maze, cold, gray marble surrounding you and all of a sudden you hear someone calling for help and as you hear the and you you hero you're a hero you save people it's what you do it is the thing that keeps you going it is this it is what it is your purpose almost so you immediately run toward the person calling for help and it is a woman tied to train tracks <laughs> oh, there's a train coming <laughs> <laughs> there's a train coming <laughs> 
the train is not, it's, this isn't a regular train. This is a 40k train. It's a train the size of an apartment complex barreling toward this single one. So you, you try and free her from the train tracks, but there's not enough time. So you try and hold the train back. And you stand there and you fight with this train. And the train gets more, you hear the sounds of the engines click on over and over and over and over. Miles of engines just turn on as the, thi the train gains momentum and slowly starts to push you back. And as you are being pushed back, you hear this cries for help be replaced with gurgles and crunching as the train gained enough force to shove you back and run the woman over with you acting as the plow that crushed her into little pieces. That incident repeats over and over and over and over and over again. Different instances where Vulcan has like a bunch of orphans tied around like tied to a winch falling into a pool of falling into like a a slag pit that Vulcan has to hold up while also simultaneously holding up this other thing with another group of orphans and he has to do that forever while fighting Conrad Kurz at the exact same time yeah. and while all this time Conrad Kurz is laughing and monologuing in his in his obnoxious little gravelly goblet you can't save them all you can't save them. Give up. It's easy when you surrender. <laughs> and then Vulcan tries to take a swing at Conrad, and then one of the pilot, one of the groups of orphans falls into slack. Months of this. Trying to find his way out of the maze. And then Conrad tells Vulcan that his hammer What was it? Dawnbreaker? Yes. Vulcan's hammer. His special Primark hammer, which has a teleportation device in it, is in the center of this maze. And if Vulcan can get to it, he can leave. So Vulcan has to fight through all of this again and again and again. More of, like... The cartoonishness of these traps cannot be understated. Yeah. It is... It is Conrad Kerr's is no, twirling a mustache that he stole from someone else's face. But Robo the, made the maze. It's the Night Hunter. <laughs> yes, it's the Night Hunter. Full on, full on uh, encroached Night Hunter territory. Yep. Because Conrad, uh, Conrad's on sabbatical, honey. You're, you're right, you're right. So, <laughs> the Night Hunter is twirling a mustache that he stole from someone else's face. <laughs> um, as Vulcan is trying his absolute hardest to save these people. But he can't. He always keeps falling just short enough to save these people. Over and over and over and over and over. And that whole time, Conrad is off in the corner making jokes. And uh, uh, the Night Hunter is off in the corner making jokes. Anytime I say Conrad, just dub me in with Night Hunter. <laughs> Uh, it's also stated that he killed him, like, dozens and dozens of times during this he process. Did. He did, yes. He beheaded him, ripped out his throat with a piece of cutlery, stabbed him through the chest, tore him limb from limb. Uh, he eviscerated him, shot him close range by hundreds of bolters, put him in a ventilation shaft of the starship's engine, stripped him naked and threw him out of an airlock, and then, and then he just gave up on trying to kill him. Yep. 
because uh, Vulcan cannot die. Cannot die. He's a perpetual. Cannot he die. Is. Yes, which means that uh, GW. <laughs> GW. Vulcan lives. New model. Vulcan, new models. Vulcan lives. Am new I model right? win. New model win. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this cavalcade of like Tom and Jerry yeah. level cruelty continues until Vulcan makes it to the center of the maze. Vulcan gets his hands on Dawnbreaker and then pushes the secret button that he thinks that he doesn't know that the Night Haunter knows about to teleport out. And it clicks, and nothing happens. And then the Night Haunter walks out, clapping his big-ass clawed hands and laughing. And he starts monologuing about how he put up, he had Perturabo put in an anti-teleportation field. And now he's stuck here forever. Your teleportation device is worthless, gloats the Night Hunter. And then Vulcan says my favorite line in all of Warhammer. Ah, yes, but you forget, brother. It is also a hammer. hammer. <laughs> and then he beats the fuck out of Night Hunter all the way through the walls of the maze. Yeah. Eventually just ending up slamming his way out the side of the ship into re-entry over McCrag. Yeah. <laughs> Where he just raw dogs re-entry onto the planet. <laughs> Which isn't great for him. It's not, but he gets better. He does get better. Um, he got hit. However, got hit by a nuclear weapon. But he got better. He got better though. Yeah. So he entered the entered McCrags. Um, this was when the Night Hunter was like trying to kill Rebute Gilman and Lionel Johnson in Imperium Secundus. We talked about that already. Go listen to that. Um, yes. But the the stress of re-entering um, atmosphere kind of fucked with and the torture he's been going through with uh, with Conrad for months and months and months. Um, kind of fucked with Vulcan's head, um, and he kind of came animalistic, and, like, uh, he, his mind kind of turned off to s mm -hmm. sort of save himself. Um, yes. So he's found by Ultramarines on McCrag. He's entombed in a um, stasis unit that uh, Gilliman built himself, um, and he's basically put on ice um, until the Night Haunter personally comes down to McCrag to try to fight and kill Sanguinius, Lionel Johnson and Rebute Gilliman. Vulcan breaks out and absolutely goes on a terror campaign against Night Hunter. And like, it's this such a cool fucking moment in the book. I think this is in um, the Unremembered Empire part of the Horus Heresy. It's a very good book. Um, I think it's probably my favorite chapter of, of the book where Vulcan just like appears behind Gilliman's mom as Conrad's like trying to kill her and Vulcan just like punches him. He like super smash bro combos Conrad curse into the air just by punching him and like throws him into like Thunderhawks and Stormbirds and like face first back down. It's like when Superman like forgets to go to like rein in strength and just starts beating fuckers into craters. That's basically what happens here. It's it's truly beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> 
So way back when, because I was re-listening to the old episode, I described it as Conrad is monologuing to Tarasha Uton about how he's going to cut her into little pieces and mail her to Gilliman. And then Vulcan just shoulder-checks his way through a door, and without losing momentum, shoulder-checks Conrad out through a wall, through several... through several Stormhawks yeah. and buildings and then just slams and drags his head and throws him through another building. It's just insane. It's so perfect. It's beautiful. And then after much ass-beating, uh, Conrad is arrested and we get yeah. my second favorite line, uh, the avenging bean counter. Oh, yeah, when he's talking about <laughs> Gilliman. Yeah, that was a good section. That was a good bit. So after that... Um, battle uh there's this little really honestly it's a b storyline about the another perpetual named john grammaticus um like stabbing vulcan with a piece of kill uh insert kill perpetual material here um fulgurite and it's very it's so unconvincingly bad (laughs) um i skipped over most of those sections but vulcan pretty much goes missing after that section ah until the Siege of Terra. Yeah. Um, the Salamanders join the Sh- Shattered Legions um, with the Raven Guard and the Iron Hands um, sort of contingents that remain. Um, First Captain Artelius Numenon, who is Vulcan's equerry, sort of leads them along with uh, Cassian Vaughn, the Lord Commander. Um, there's a bunch of interesting like uh, subplots with... Um, commanders uh and units of the salamanders commencing these like guerrilla warfare battles um against the traitor legions with like shadrach medusan and uh nikea uh shadow whatever the fuck we'll talk about him next episode mm-hmm. um when we get to the raven guard um a cool instance was with that in that crew i forget what the ship's name was fuck anyway it doesn't matter that much but there's a um, um, a medic from the Salamanders who is the only Salamander on the ship. And Nikea Shadow Song, Shadow Heart, Shadow Fall, Shadow Song, whatever. Um, he is like sneaking around the ship, being, you know, how Raven Guard are. And this dude, this um, uh, apothecary, can see him in the straight darkness. The Raven Guard are known for being, like, stealthy and invisible. And this dude can just look at him and see him because of his eyes. Because of the piercing redness of his eyes. The shadows don't play like they do for normal people. Uh, Mm -hmm. And he could straight see in pitch blackness, which I just thought was cool. I would like to correct this because it is a very fascinating thing that the salamanders have so the salamanders because of vulcan have like in heat have heat vision yeah right right they live on a planet that is imbued with radiation so for some reason that means that they can see heat like a pit viper yeah (laughs) there's bits in the books where it's like i don't remember if i think it's their helmets are calibrated to do that and it's like their helmets combined with the way their eyes work to create like a very specific kind of infrared vision where it's like they can see like deviations in temperature that people leave behind somewhere. Yeah, which is honestly really cool. It just really, un- like, the way it's, because it's 
scene in like the first couple chapters of the Sa- Salamander's book where they're working alongside the Imperial Guard of this planet. And the Imperial Guard, like, they're able to just look at the ground, but, like, there were 15 people here. They were here five minutes ago based on the temperature and the positioning of everything. Sure, they had heavy right. artillery because of the heat of the ground. They're talking about this, and the Imperial Guard are just staring at them. <laughs> right, like... Because the Imperial the Guard, all their senses, like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> so good. Um, okay, is, but that pretty much wraps up their involvement in the heresy up until yep. the, um, uh, the Siege of Terra in which a really interesting subplot takes place. So, aspects of the Salamanders um, are there on Terra to defend the Imperial Palace, Mm -hmm. Um, but Vulcan himself appears on Terra during a... um, It's a novella. It's not a main story of the Siege of Terra anthology, um, but it's called The Fury of Magnus, in which Vulcan on a secret mission from Malkador the Sigilite, sort mm-hmm. of sneaks into the Imperial Palace and tries to subvert Magnus, who's also sneaking into the Imperial Palace. It's like this weird cat-and-mouse game that Vulcan plays with um, with Magnus to prevent Magnus from um, gathering the shards of himself back again because Magnus got separated with the whole Prospero and mm-hmm. falling to Zinch and all that shit. And he was the only reason the Thousand Sons were there during the siege was so that Magnus can reconvene some of his soul. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was like really cool. It's a really, it's really like downplayed in its importance. Um, but Vulcan was there during all of that shit. I wonder how different things would be if Vulcan made it known because his legion just thought he died. They thought, oh, he took a fucking nuke to the face. He's gone. We won't be seeing him again. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, not until we reconvene his fucking 12 pieces of eight or whatever. Um, <laughs> and so, like, they, they didn't know. He was just secretly doing this, like, guerrilla warfare shit, like, in the bowels of the Imperial Palace. And I wonder how different things would have been if he just, like, was like, hey, guys, I'm here. Let's kick these fuckers in the face. And, like, what if Mag- what if Vulcan was there on the Ventral Spirit with the Emperor? Uh, with Dorn, like what? How different things could have been? We don't know. They're still writing those books. <laughs> <laughs> they actually, yeah, no, yes, yes. There's still the last part um, that hasn't come out yet. Oh, we're waiting on on literally the last part of the. It's called the end and the death. I think. Oh, it's been. It, they broke it into three parts, and I think the third part's supposed to come out pretty soon. Sweet. I'm I'm reading through the the bit. He's there. Okay, good. Because he does... They do know he's there. They yeah. do know Vulcan's alive because he just comes back on Nocturne. Because Vulcan of, lives. Yeah, Vulcan does live. He's like He just appears one day on Nocturne. That's so funny. All of I, his shit is somewhere else. I am here in the shadows, <laughs> the deepest part of the room. <laughs> exactly. I have found a little workshop to work in the corner. <laughs> That's such a great scene. Yeah. <laughs> Oh right, yeah. Um, because so I I found it because I it took me a second. Uh, basically, Vulcan is they shove him in a state when they shove him in a stasis pod after McCrag, they bury him in the tallest mountain on the tallest volcano on Nocturne. Oh right, Mount Deathfire. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then they resurrect him. Yes, <laughs> then he comes back. That's right. That's right. And. 
they find he live he starts living in the volcano. Yeah. And then he just starts calling himself Deathfire. It's so funny. Because he, that's the only thing he remembers. He forges the Thunder Hammer Urdracool and the Talisman of Seven Hammers. <laughs> this is before you have this is before the, the relics of Vulcan. Right, yeah, yeah. So he for he's forging he forges two of the relics of Vulcan. Okay. And then three of his just three guys, Atok, Abademi, Barak Zytos, and Egan Gargo, find him, and then he makes them swear to never tell him. Never makes don't tell anyone I'm here. I'm doing stuff. <laughs> so funny. I'm doing important stuff. No one can know I'm down here. <laughs> come back in three days. They listen because that's their primark. Uh, they come back, and then Vulcan uses the talisman of seven hammers to open a portal into the webway and then raid the fuck raid Kamara. that's so funny <laughs> that's his plan he comes back he barely has his memory he's like i am here i know how to make weapons i'm gonna fuck up some elves <laughs> <laughs> i just know i hate elves yes and then at some point so he goes he fights through a bunch of elves uh he ends up Finding Shadrach Medusin's fleet, and with this group called the Cult of the Gorgon, saying that they brought back Ferris Manus. Oh yeah. And then he meets the fake fair. He meets um f quote unquote Ferris Manus, and he finds out that oh this isn't Ferris. This is just one of his arms attached to a fake puppet. The horse heresy got real weird in the, the middle. The horse heresy gets super weird. It Eventually, was, it was forty-three <laughs> books, and it could have been twelve. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's also uh, an elf here named Eldrad Ulthran, which is totally oh, yeah. different from oh, right. the from... Eldrad of fucking Warhammer fantasy. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, Eldrad Ulthran. Um, he resurrects Gil Gilliman. <laughs> He does, yeah. I yeah. forget. There's two different fucking. I made. I forgot that there's two different fucking Eldrads. Yeah. So, Vulcan's in the Vulcan and his boys, the Drake Sword, venture upon this planet called Kalistar. They're beset by demons. They fight a great unclean one, and Vulcan straight up the way Lexcan describes it is gives true death to the great unclean one. Perma kill. Yes, he permakills the fucking thing. So cool. Eldrad saves him. And then Eldrad was apparently living on um, Nocturne as the old man of Mount Deathfire. Yeah. And then somehow uh, Eldrad ends up on the Imperial Palace. Like, Eldrad teleports Vulcan and the Drake Sword to the Imperial Palace and meets up with Rogel Dorn and then the Emperor. The Emperor, by this point, by this point, the siege is over. The Emperor's on the Golden Throne. Yeah. But Rogaldorn is still alive. Rogaldorn's still alive. He's still alive. Russ is still yep. alive. Corvus oh. is still alive. Yeah, and right after this is when Vulcan and Magnus have their spy versus spy guerrilla right, warfare right, right. fight. Yeah, yeah. Also, it's really funny because Magnus is like... 11 feet tall with wings and a giant wizard staff and <laughs> yeah. Vulcan is dual wielding hammers and they're having a sneaky guerrilla warfare fight <laughs> right the two stealthiest primarchs yes 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 very sneaky very and then sneaky. Magnus ends up in the imperial webway to try and permanently kill the emperor right and it then Vulcan was sent by Malkador to, to stop him 
I can't stress to you how much the Horus Heresy just doesn't make sense. <laughs> just like Magnus, after killing the Emperor, after doing all that by accident, like, no, fuck you, I'm gonna kill you for real this time. Yeah. You killed Horus. Horus was the coolest guy. He's the only one who understood me. And so now he's going to kill the Emperor for real. Right, definitely. And uh, fuck up the Eternity Gate. And then Magnus the entire time is making fun of him. And then he makes it all the way to the impossible city. Mm, yeah, right, where he builds his fuck shit. Yes. Yeah. And then, which is, uh, for those of you who don't know, for when in the next 3,000 years we make a chaos episode, maybe, uh, the impossible city is the personal realm of Zinch. <laughs> yeah. And, uh... It's where a stupid Magnus maze is. is. Yes, it's a big stupid maze that no one can solve ever. Right. Except one woman. One like one little girl one with a dog. year old girl with a dog. Yes. Mm -hmm. The, the so, answer to the last question was Games Workshop. That's all I know. Yep. <laughs> so eventually, Matt Vulcan Magnus is like, "No, brother, you should be siding with me." And he tries showing Vulcan a vision of the burning of Prospero. Vulcan does not care, and then they fight. <laughs> yeah, Vulcan's like hammer. <laughs> Listen, when you have. When all you have is a hammer, Everything's every a nail. problem looks like a nail. Yep. And a Vulcan has two of them at this point. <laughs> two hammers, <laughs> which means one hammer for each nail. Exactly. So all this happens. Uh, they put so apparently I misread what they were saying. The emperor was sitting on the throne. He wasn't stuck there. Okay. So as he leaves... Oh, this was as, during the siege, yes. Yeah, this is during the siege. The Emperor's sitting on the throne. So the Emperor gets off the throne, Malkador gets on, gets off the throne, fights, is fucked up, and then Dorn, Valdor, and, like, at the very end, Dorn, Valdor, and everybody else go to, um, put the Emperor on the throne. Oh, I almost forgot. Uh, Vulcan thinks that everyone... So, they're fighting, and, um... So, while the Emperor's on the Vengeful Spirit, the traitors are literally at the door to the Imperial Throne Room. Which, lest we forget, is a huge room in the center of Mount Everest. So, it's not yeah. a very small room. Right. But it's the last room left. So, Vulcan is going to activate the Talisman of Seven Hammers big fucking kill switch. <laughs> of course. He's going to activate all set like, it doesn't explain it, but I assume it's like, I'm going to activate the seventh hammer. And then Malkador's like, no, don't do it. We're not going to lose. He's going to come back. The Emperor is still fighting. Do not push the button. And uh, Vulcan eventually is talked. Uh, it says Vulcan is ultimately convinced to back down from activating the Doomsday Weapon. That's so funny. So it took some talking. Vulcan was ready to blow up everything. Just, I will not let you win! Horse must not win! I don't care if, like, Horse must not win. I don't care if we lose. Horse must not win. We die here. And eventually, ultimately, he is convinced from doing it. He is talked back eventually. Yeah. So, eventually, uh, he's there when Dorn, Valdor, and everybody else put the Emperor on the Golden Throne. And, uh, what is it? Oh, yeah. What happened? Right after that, Vulcan opposes the Codex Astartes. Right. Which is a big deal because 
Uh, it's the first big instance of uh, Bobby G's big old book. <laughs> <laughs> and Vulcan did not like the book because presumably he read the book. Presumably, and he saw he, he found flaw. <laughs> he had he's like this is inefficient and stupid. I don't like it. But he didn't really have the thing about the salamanders is they were really fucked up. Yeah. In terms of numbers, there was barely so, a chapters worth left. By accident, yeah, they were made codex compliant. Right. <laughs> Just like so, according to like I hate this book. Me and my thousand men will be leaving now oh perfect that's exactly the amount of men you can have right shut up we're gonna go kill fabius bile <laughs> yeah and that's exactly what they go and do yes um after the the heresy they sort of are just compliant vulcan leads his his chapter um uh becoming one of the uh imperial regents um he does some fuck shit. The War of the Beast happens. He oh, spear tackles. I want to talk about the War of the Beast for a minute. <laughs> he the War spear of the Beast, tackles the beast into a generator. He blows does. up. <laughs> he spear tack like so. I don't know if we talked about the War of the Beast, My but what God, happened? We, it's, it needs to be its own episode. It's going to be its own episode. But basically, what happened he made is while Primarchs. while the Horus Heresy was happening, Primarchs, Primarchs happened. The orcs engaged. Like, the orcs were fighting and generating so much hype. I know it's called wah, but I'm calling it hype because it's funnier. The orcs generated so much wah hype that they created orc primarchs. Yeah. And then the orc emperor. Yeah. And then they invaded the imperial palace. It's a long story. Short. Eventually. <laughs> long story short. Eventually, Vulcan spear tackles the primarch. After climbing into his giant temple gargant, uh, he spear tackles him into a reactor. Yeah. And then the pri the Primarch became imbued by massive wah energies. Yeah. Rather than be consumed by the energies, as so many other men had, Vulcan used his primal and savage essence to become one with it and launch one last attack. Oh my god. <laughs> OGW. Anyway, after that, he, did he, that with, he goes he did on the lamb. He does. He, he runs just away. says, hey guys, uh, cool. I'm going to go away now. Uh, I will return when you need when me you, most. When you after you find all fine nine artifacts of Vulcan. <laughs> I'll come back when you need me, but you gotta finish the scavenger hunt first. <laughs> yeah. He hit him with the fetch quest. Yeah. I sh like I shall return, my children, my sons. Do not worry. But first, you must collect all nine hundred Korok seeds before I return. <laughs> so the the salamanders, upon this quest, having known that they must complete this quest for their father to return, have com have found um, five of the nine. Um, the missing four are what's keeping them, I guess, from reuniting with their dad. I think one of them is go probably just going to be Vulcan. Vulcan like, himself, the the, the friendship yes. we made along the way. <laughs> yep. <coughs> and now, finally, uh, I will now explain the Prometheum cult. Very good. <clears throat> now that we have talked about Vulcan, you may be asking, what the fuck are the salamanders doing during all of this? 
What the fuck is the salamander's deal? Why did I laugh when I said Mount Deathfire? Well, like many space marines, uh, the salamanders brought their culture from home. So, their culture from home kind of manifested in its own philosophical writings. Where, um, it, where Vulcan, along with the other Nocturnians, came up with this thing called the Prometheum Creed. And the followers of the Prometheum Creed are known as, they're called the Prometheum Cult. They're called fire faces, fireheads. Yep. Yes, yes. They, they, no, they're called gas, the cult of gasoline. They're called Hotman. Hotman? Yes. Hotman? Listen, listen. Flamio, my Hotman. Exactly. <laughs> See, the Prometheum cult is funny because it's like naming yourselves after napalm. Yeah. Because Prometheum <laughs> is what, instead of calling it like fuel or oil or gasoline, they call it Prometheum. Me and my boys, the gas buds. Exactly. The, the welcome brethren to the church of gas, buddy, to the church of diesel. <laughs> Cr crude oil, boys. <laughs> exactly. So the Prometheum cult places high reliance, a uh, high emphasis on self-reliance, self-sacrifice, and loyalty. The needs of the many outweigh the, the good of the whole, and the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. So, this manifests in the Salamander, like, the whole, I, the doctrine of the Salamanders basically be Salamanders throwing themselves into suicide charges forever. Vulcan founded the the official Prometheum cult to kind of calm that down. Right. Because self-sacrifice is great. To a point. Because there's a fine line between like being willing to put it all on the field for your people and uh, throwing yourself headfirst into a wall of orc bullets for one single child. Right. <clears throat> Which is the Prometheum cult basically says, yeah, you can do that shit with the orc bullets for the child, but like in moderation. Which is so Be reasonable. Funny. It's so <laughs> funny that they named themselves after fire jet oh. fuel to to describe oh. that ideology. Oh, oh boy, we can I'm gonna t we can talk about that now because th this is this is where Anasius goes off into fucking tangent land. The salamanders live on a planet of fire. In response, their preferred weapons are flamers, yeah. melter we melt the weapons, thunder hammers, uh, bolters that fire incendiary rounds, and everything. Everything that a sal every item that a salamander owns has to be flammable. Right. Everything that a salamander does involves fire, and these guys are the only ones who really consider civilians in their action, in their combat doctrine. Right. Other space means like, ah, oh, yes, uh, civilians aren't, they're not people, it's a percentage. It's we need these people to survive so that when we reclaim this world, we can work at optimal efficiency once more. Yeah, it's ironic that the ones consumed with fascination of the most dangerous substance in the galaxy are the are ones also... <laughs> who care about people. Yep. So, all salamanders, by virtue, because of the Prometheum cult, all salamanders 
are required by this cult to be able to make and maintain their weapons. Mm, yes. So, because of that, the armorers basically have a lot of free time, so they make ridiculous weapons. They, the art, like, it is said in many story, <clears throat> many sources, and on Lexicanum here, that salamander weapons are all master crafted, and they're, mas they're crafted to such an insane degree that even the Mechanicus is impressed. Like, the Mechanicus drools over salamander stuff. Right. It's so finely honed. They are yes. just... They're... So, the Iron Hands are previously, like, the blacksmiths we were talking about. Um, whereas, the, the difference between the salamanders and the Iron Hands is that the Iron Hands are, like, very mechanically inclined. So, like, they can make, like, killer bikes, killer tanks... Their siege, their siege craft, and their gear is always very well maintained. The uh, salamanders take that and crank it up to eleven with their own personal war gear. So, like what the Iron Hands are good at with mechanics, the salamanders are good at with just improving their gear. Yes. So, because of this, in the books and in Lexicon, there's a bunch of instances in the books where like higher ranking salamanders have like personal arsenals where it's like instead yeah, of yeah. having like oh yeah the communal salamander arms room the communal salamander arms room is where like the goobers get their loner guns which are stupid and cringe right and everyone else who's cool has their own personal arsenal of stuff that they make and like modify by hand so also the salamanders are unique among space marines because they get to actually have connections with their families. Yes, right. A lot of space... Like, I think the ultramarines are the only ones who get that also. Um, and even that is barely. A couple of them get, like, rough um, understanding. The ultramarines, the modern ultramarines, I would say so, because, like, Cato Sicarius is, like, a lord in the ultramar, and he grew up with his family after becoming an, uh, an ultramarine. And, right. like... Some of them, like, really know their families. But, yeah, I'd say the salamanders are probably second in their, like, familiarity. They have to oh, understand yeah. people. The salamanders straight up just hold positions of government at home. Right. Because in the books, um, the salamanders are taken... Like, in the, the books, talk about salamanders in 40k. Sure, right. Well, the omnibus... The, omnibus, The Nick yeah. Keim omnibus, specifically. Yeah, yeah. So, in that one... Uh, most of the salamanders are actually taken from noble houses. The noble houses of Nocturne, specifically from the city of Hesiod, where Vulcan was from. Right. So they all have, like, that kind of knightly air of, oh, I must save the people because it is my duty as a lord. I don't like them, but I have to save them because it's my job because they're so unimportant and small. And in the book, it's mentioned specifically that Dekir, the the protagonist of the books is an, ig an ignian, which is um, basically an itinerant mine worker. Okay. And uh, he gets shit for it. For all the books. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Up until uh, I forgot his name. Uh, what's the... his The lordly princeling, whose name I don't remember, uh, falls to chaos eventually. Oh, I do remember this. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that so 
there is that certain element of like it talks about like there are like chapters there are like sections where they're not actively in combat where it talks about how Dakir doesn't really have anyone at home he doesn't have like people to go back to versus everyone else because he was an orphan itinerant and uh, it taught like other space marines ha- Bashir? not Bashir it starts with the B I don't remember Bakken was Bakken no Bakken was the heavy gun the noble the noble talks about how he has his own like in his house in his family estate he has his own personal arsenal right and how every salamander has their own personal arsenal in their house like in their homes on nocturne where they all get to go and where they get to store their stuff and space marines live thousands, hundred, live for hundreds of years. Thousands even, if yeah. you leave them alone for long enough. Right. Bjorn the fell-handed. Yeah, right. And Dante. So, yep. <laughs> so, in, in these stories, there are moments where you see, like, the space marines talk about their families and how that, like, they leave and then they come back and they feel like guard, they don't really, like, they'll leave as children and they'll come back as space marines and then they're old their parents are old and they don't really have like they don't have they don't really have a lot of them because don't really have that connection to their families because they're space marines they live a long time they see things that other people can't understand and even though they're around these people and they're among the people it forms this distance in them yeah and it's a fascinating thing you you don't get to explore because the space marines they can't go around telling their families about... Because they'll ask. I don't remember where in the book, but there's a, st- there's a moment where a child asks... The space... Asks Dakir what it's like. And Dakir remembers the conflict and watching his... So watching First Sergeant die. And watch... And how he was... How he and... Uh, Baken are be yeah it is Baken, he and Baken are fighting, because Baken wanted to be promoted, but Dakir got promoted instead at the at the will of the first sergeant, and he's have like he's remembering all the things he's seen, all the like fighting chaos and orcs, and everything else, and he just looks at the kid and says it's hard. Yeah right. And it's just they're the little like that's why I like salamanders so much. They seem very human. Little, yeah, they are very human. And even when they're not human, even it shows how these, like, leagues beyond human. Right. Beyond anything a human could do. And then there's still somewhere down there at their core, a very human person. Right. But now, let's get fucking stupid. (laughs) Let us talk of some of the rituals. Enough talk of (laughs) the, the sane and normal parts of the Prometheum cult. Let us talk about <laughs> the the burning walk <laughs> and the rites of inter the ritual of interment. Great. So the burning walk is it's basically like it is salamander retirement. Salamanders are space marines, and space marines in 40k don't really have that long of a shelf life in the you know in the grim dark future that is only war. Right. Sometimes though, they do live a long, but sometimes they do live 
or sometimes they have intense turmoil. And so they choose to undertake the burning walk. So they go, they take all of their, they take all of their armor and all of their gear and are stripped down basically to the waist. And they walk into the burning desert of Nocturne, the pyre desert of Nocturne. And then they just go. (laughs) And sometimes they come back. It's, it is said to be because the apothecary, apothecary Fugis, undertakes the burning walk. And it is said to be a cleansing moment where you go, you, you are removed of all of your space marine attire, all of your armor, the black car, everything. You go out in the desert with a loincloth and you go out and you survive. And if you don't survive, you die an honorable de- an honorable right. and dignified death. Yep. However, in the case of Fugis, you come back with a clear mind. And then we get to talk now we get to talk about my favorite stupid thing that the salamanders do. In the book, if you're reading the book, um, I mentioned that the uh, captain of third company, Dakir's company, dies in uh, the salamander books um this is like in the book you're reading it it's a very somber moment but reading it here on lexicanum really helps you understand how stupid it is (laughs) great i will now read it directly from lexicanum when a captain of the salamanders is slain a rich a ceremony is performed to commemorate his passing and to celebrate his successor's promotion the ritual involves chaining what remains of the fallen into to a vast ceramite-coated slab of black marble. The slab is then lowered into a lava pool, lava flow, which then pools within a vast ceramite-sided basin of volcanic rock. The slab is lowered by means of two chosen astartes in the traditional garb of nocturnian metal workers. So, plain leather boots, leather apron, no gloves though. No clothing on the forearms at all. And this is important. Uh, the traditional garb of nocturnal metalworkers who pass chains twice the size of an Astartes fist and etched with symbols of the forge. The flame, the anvil, and the hammer. Yeah. <laughs> through their hands, as the chain through their hands. As the chains are red hot from the heat of the lava flow, the symbols are branded into the palms of the incumbents. The Astartes must grip the chains precisely and in unison, for any deviation will result in an irregular brand, which is a mark of shame. It is described in the book as the single most dishonorable thing you can do at this time. Because to be chosen for this, you have to have been close. One of the, one of the chosen is the one of the people who are one of the incumbents is the one who's chosen to be first captain and the others are those closest to the first captain so, so it's like this your tradition best, is so yeah, fucking this tradition funny. is so fu- it, in the book it's like if you fuck this up you have not only dishonored yourself you have spat in the face of your captain who trusted you with his life and who regarded you as a brother. You have shamed yourself. And you can't do the... You have to do it again. 
<laughs> you have to do it again until you get it right, which basically means you dunk your whole hand in law. You like no one of the chapter serves has to come over with a fucking blowtorch and fix you. I'm not kidding. It is described as like an like a gas torch that the dude has to go over your hand with to to like erase to the mark off, so you can right. do it again. Yep. God, that's horrific. So. <laughs> So you go, so you lower the, the dude, you lower the cat, the chosen captain into the lava and then you pull it back up and by assuming you do the ritual correctly, you are branded with the symbols in the correct order and you have brought, you have maintained the honor of your fallen superior and friend. Following that, the ritual of ascension where the prospective captain is stripped naked aside from a sash to preserve his dignity and branded with the marks of the captain upon his chest and right soldier shoulder. Stepping onto a dais, the ascendant is subjected to a blast of flame from below, surrounding him in a pillar-like inferno for a few seconds. So you, so Dakir stands on a dais and is just engulfed in flame from beneath mountain because all of this happens <clears throat> in Vulcan's personal workshop which was again that cave at the bottom of Mount Deathfire thus complete the ascendant is addressed by the regent of Prometheus uh, high, the highest chaplain of the salamanders with the words Vulcan fi Vulcan's fire beats in my breast to which the ascendant concludes, with it I shall smite the foes of the emperor. <laughs> Upon the start of a new campaign, this is another scene in the book. Uh, each salamander builds their own pyre, separate from his battle brothers, and leaves, returning when the flames are at their apex. In solitude, they anoint their armor and focus on the key tenets of the Imperial cult. I want you to imagine, like in the book, this is played straight, but this is a scene that happens in the thing. Dakir and everybody, no, Baken, Baken and Dakir are going out for deployment and Baken is meditating in the middle of a gargantuan fucking bonfire and having his chapter serfs mount the armor to him while he is standing in meditation, again, in the middle of a bonfire. <laughs> Take that, Ultramarines, with your fucking, you... with your fucking accounting homework. Listen, that scene in which Warhammer ripped off Starcraft to put the armor on. Yeah, yeah, Tychus, yeah. Yeah, they should have had a salamander do it, because right. then there would, a, he would have just been on fire. Yeah. He would have just been on fire. Because the, the salamanders live in these, like, hermit cells that they have to carve out of volcanic rock. Right. So they live in this, it's a coal, it is described as coal, like, warm, stiflingly warm, and pitch black. Yeah. Because the salamanders have low light vision. Yes. So, in the middle of this cult, like, volcanic room, there is a, there's like a little platform. And this little platform is where they do their bonfires. And the, the bonfire, and then as they're being burned, they meditate upon the importance of self-reliance and self-sacrifice as they're on fire. And they're chapter serfs, who are also almost always being burned by the fire. And I should remind you, this is fire hot enough to burn space marines. Which is 
hot. Ungod, like, you're standing in a gasoline f fire made of gasoline and lighter fluid. Right. And you're just putting this dude's armor on him. And also branding, like, there is always, always in the books, there's always, Baken specifically is obsessed with personal honor. And the way salamanders denote this personal honor is through branding. So there are scenes in the book where Baken, you see Baken slowly going insane because he has all of these marks of honor that his chapter surf is giving to him. And he that he every the chapter surf is done mounting all of the, the shit from like giving him all of the brands of the latest conquests, and he's like he just looks at the surf and just says, Do it over. And so the chapter surf has to go over him with an acetylene torch and do it again. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty hardcore. Upon the death of a salamander, <laughs> if his body is not returned to Nocturne and ritually burned in the Pyreum under Mount Deathfire. <coughs> oh yeah. The salamanders have a mausoleum under Mount Deathfire. It's called the Pyreum. It's like a mausoleum, except there's like just open fires where people start, instead of like just fire, like shelves where you keep the cremated corpses, there's like sarcophagi that right, are also right. on fire. Sure. <laughs> and then the armor is also like, they give, like if it's just a rank and file battle brother, they do kind of they they scour the armor. Like, they cook the armor in a fire before they give it to reissue it to someone else. And in the More event fire. you... fire. In, in the event you don't make it to the Pyreum, they light you up... Because the salamanders uh, walk around with flamethrowers, they just light their dead on fire, and in the event of that... Uh, Fellow salamanders just shove their arms into the burning fire. Sometimes they will sing laments. Sometimes they'll say a few words. It's like their own. It's it's like it's like a it's it's like you know how people have different funeral rites right. based on where they come from on the planet. Yes. yes. Except the one commonality among all these funeral rites is you have to light the fucker on fire. <laughs> you have to light them on fire. So, it's essential. So I was. <laughs> First, before you started the story of their rituals, I uh -huh. was looking at the successor chapter list of the Salamanders, and I was, I was kind of, it was kind of weird that the list was so short. Um, uh -huh. But now I don't think it's weird that the list is so short. <laughs> I think yeah. that's probably right. So, <laughs> there are two known successor chapters of the Salamanders. So before, yes. So before the. Um, the first founding. Uh, the Primaris, um, the Primaris Marines came out. There was only there was one suspected, I think, and then one legitimately confirmed um, successor chapters, and they were horrifically mutated. Oh yeah, the black dragons. The black dragons have bones, bone sprouts that come out of their bodies like Wolverine claws. Yep. So, and there yep. is a lot. This was during the 22nd, 21st curse founding. Um, and there's a lot of inquisitional searching about the... They, they want to find a reason to exterminate these idiots because of their, their mutations. Um, yeah. Other than that, there aren't any confirmed uh, salamander successors until Fabius Bile... Not Fabius Bile. Nope, wrong call. one. Call. Call. Belisarius Call. The other one, um, he um, 
reinforced the salamanders with one, two, three, four, five, I believe, um, successor chapters of Primaris Marines. But other than that, they don't have any other successions. I mean, looking at the Raven Guard for our next episode, the Raven Guard has like 14 confirmed successor chapters. And the, the Salamanders have like six altogether? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, it makes sense, though. No, it does. It does. You just said fire, I think, 112 times, so. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like it'd be difficult to reclaim Gene Seed from life. Yes, very hard. Ash. Right. It's like, quickly, we must reclaim... Like, there are bits in the book where it talks about reclaiming Gene Seed, but immediately at... But sometimes it's like, we don't have time to reclaim the Gene Seed. And that's why there are no successors. And that's why there are no Salamander successors, yeah. Because technically, the Black Dragons weren't are technically a successor chapter in that they chose to be their own thing after a bunch right. of salamanders grew wolverine claws yes yes it's very hard to associate yourself with other people at that point yeah yeah so closing thoughts <laughs> um the salamanders are surprisingly the most solid space marine chapter space marine legion of the list I like them. I think they're my new favorite lord. No, they're close. So they're up there. They. I went. I just didn't know anything about them to them now being one of my top few. Yeah. But my favorites are the next. The next boys, the sneaky edge lords. Um, oh yeah, the Raven Guard. The Raven Guard. Yes. So we'll talk about them next time. Eventually. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Whenever this episode comes out. Right. You know pre-old night, of course. Right, hopefully. Yeah. So, my closing thoughts are this. Um, a story. A soundscape, if you will, because uh, people seem to like the narration bit I did back the Death Guard, so we're bringing it back. You live on a world. It was a peaceful world once, you know, used to farm here, used to grow food to ship out to other planets. Not anymore. Some preacher on this planet started talking about corn, but not the kind of corn you're used to, a different, more violent kind of corn. You don't understand this, you're a child. You, all you know is not to go near um, Old Man Manson's field. And now Old Man Manson and his army have blown through everything. Everyone is dead. You can't find your parents, you can't find anyone, and you're and the only person, the only thing, living thing you have left as comfort in the midst of this ongoing horrible war is a dog. You're hiding out in this barn with this dog. And then the doors kick in. It's the, it's the Planetary Defense Force. You know who these people are. They've done, they've, they've come, they came to your school once. And so they come. One of them knows you. One of them... It's a friend of your family. He comes, he drags you out, he carries you on your shoulders, and as he picks you up, you notice he's leaving your dog behind. You're crying, you're telling him to go get your dog back, it's the only one you have, your dog is the only member of your family you have left, and he tells you, it's just a dog. It's just a dog, we need to go, we need to get you out of here, we need to get off this planet. Things get bad. The sky is red, the artillery fire has not stopped for days, days upon days of endless, ceaseless, horrible war. And you watch as it seems like for a moment the stars fall out of the sky 
and land in front of you and this plant, this small squadron of PDF. Out of this, out of this gargantuan fucking metal pot covered in ornate brasswork steps the biggest thing you've ever seen. Bright green, wearing pauldron, wearing a pauldron bearing the icon of a dragon, and upon his other shoulder is an active burning brazier. Like a bucket of fire is on his other side. Holding a cat, holding a gun that looks less like a gun as big as you are, covered in ornate brasswork depicting a dragon for the, like, picking a dragon breathing out the nozzle. And as he fires this gun upon the encroaching cultists, you watch as they explode into mist. This being, this, you've heard stories, but you never thought they would be real, that you would ever see in Astartes before. And no one thinks they would ever, no one on this planet ever thought they would see in Astartes. The Astartes, wearing this got this shoulder pad of fire and this cape made of the scales of some great creature wielding a gun as big as the man carrying you walks up to you and gets down and looks at the PDF soldier and asks in a voice deeper than the artillery itself why is the child crying he salutes like the guy he put like the soldier carrying he puts you down immediately and salutes him sir um we're, we're evacuating, yes, sir, we're evacuating this child. We need to get, we, we're evacuating this child. We need to get out of here. We're trying to mount the evac ships. And the giant is not, does not seem satisfied with this answer because he gets down on one knee, still towering over all of you, everyone, towering over even the track, the remains of the tanks and vehicles behind him. And he gets down on his knee and he asks you, the child, why are you crying, little one? through your tears and terror. You can only manage this to, my dog. The only thing that you can come out of your mouth, my dog, my dog, my dog is in the barn. I, I, he said, I have to go. I can't leave my dog. My, my parent, my, they gave him to me. I'm not leaving him behind. And the giant silently gets up, walks over to the barn, and he comes out carrying your dog in one hand, the same way you would carry a mouse. And he hands it to you. And then he gets, he gets back down as he hands it to you and he says, he looks you in the eyes and he takes off his helmet and you see his face, jet black, covered in scars and brands and symbols that you don't understand, but you, you can just tell looking at it, these symbols are of great significance. And this man, this god, this, this demigod before you has seen much and has lived through much. And as he hands you the dog, he says, he looks you in the eye and said, we're going to get you out of here. And he and his brothers form up around you and lead you to the rest of the evacuation group as you get back to the ship. That's why I like the salamanders. In a galaxy, in a setting of grim darkness, where the tagline is in the grim darkness of the far-flung future, where there is only war, under the most brutal regime imaginable, there are still people who are willing to fight and die for the little guy. That, to all, all the other space marines, the population of the Imperium is a current, is the most 
easily spent resource possible. And that's exactly what every single person is. To an ultramarine, human, human beings are a resource on an Excel spreadsheet that you have to ensure does not go below a certain point to reduce efficiency. To an Imperial Fist, humans are all humans are a resource on a construction list to see to it that all of your stuff gets built and that there are bodies to be fed to the gr meat grinders of war. To a salamander, the people of the Imperium are people. The Imperium is not made of resources. The Imperium is not its resources or its territory or its buildings or its artifacts. To a salamander, the Imperium is its people. And for this Imperium, for these people, a salamander will lay down his life, coating everything around him in holy Prometheum to see to it that that child gets that dog off the planet. Salamanders are the highest. We have been talking the entire podcast about how space marines are knights of our paladins. This is the truest example of a paladin, someone who is willing to fight and die to see to it that other people live. Thank you. Ave Imperator. Ave Imperator.